Welcome to Starting Points, a Faith on Hill podcast. Starting Points goes through the whole Bible, from Genesis through Revelation, including all the major sections of the Bible. And it's designed to be a starting or a restarting point for anyone's reading, study, engaging with, wrestling with the Bible, which we believe to be the Word of God that is inspired and authoritative for all who believe. Now, we are in the uh, section of the Bible, it's called the prophetic books of the Bible, and we have left the major prophets, and we are entering into the minor prophets. Now, they are not minor because of their importance or lack of importance. Really what it comes down to was that the major prophets, Isaiah and Jeremiah, Ezekiel and Daniel, wrote such large books that they got their own scroll. You know, you the book of, of Daniel, the book of Isaiah was its own scroll. The other prophets wrote less, shorter, more concise. And so they were able to fit all 12 of the minor prophets onto one scroll. Nice, neat, easy. So, you know, that's why they get the title. They're not unimportant in any way. In fact, some of the more important uh, Old Testament prophets are numbered among the minor prophets. Now, today we will be looking at the first of those, and that is the prophet Hosea. Now, there is a thing that happens when you grow up in the church. Not everybody does, right? Um, Pastor Andrew Hirschman, who has uh, uh, preached at Faith on Hill before, he's appeared on our Talk About Anything podcast, and he's the pastor who performed uh, my wife and I's wedding ceremony. Now, he is a convert to Christianity. He did not grow up in the church. Uh, he grew up in a non, non-religious Jewish household, and he became a Christian in his like junior year of high school. So six, 17 years old, becomes a Christian. He has no background with the Bible. So he has no idea about this. You know, um, my wife's family, they were not believers. They were converts. But I grew up in the church from like day one. I was in the church. And so when you grow up in the church, there are these sort of Sunday school stories, kids' church stories, you know. You have the flood, you have crossing the Red Sea, you have David and Goliath, Jesus walking on water. There's certain things that just end up in the kids' Bibles. And so, uh, you know, then you get into like your older elementary, middle school, high school age, and you start reading the Bible for yourself. And you come across things, and you're like, wait, that's in the Bible? Oh my goodness. Hosea is kind of like that. I remember like, wait, what? There's a prophet who did what now? And God told him to, What? Hosea wrote the book of Hosea. That's, you know, we, who wrote this book? Hosea wrote the book of Hosea. And to believe other, otherwise, I think, is one of those things where you want to believe otherwise. It's not to do with evidence. It has to do with what you want. Now, we don't know much about him. He was the son of Biri. And we're pretty sure he lived in the tragic final days of the northern kingdom of Israel. So he was one of the prophets in the final days of the northern kingdom before they were conquered and taken into captivity by the Assyrian Empire. And his life served as a parable of God's faithfulness to an unfaithful people. Now, parable, of course, is a story that's meant to to prove a point. Jesus used parables all the time in his teaching. We will be speaking today about the Jewish people. And I'm not Jewish. Now, my friend, my friend Andy is, you know, Pastor Andrew Hirschman, I just mentioned, um, 
I, I, I had great friendships with many Jewish people, observant Jews, non-observant Jews, uh, Jews who are now converts to Christianity. Um, we will speak about the Jewish people. I also recognize the prevalence of anti-Semitism in America. I recognize the prevalence of anti-Semitism in European culture, which is still dominant in America. And I recognize that anti-Semitism has had safety in parts of the church. I think, I like to think that I have built up enough credibility, both with my Jewish friends and neighbors, personally and individually, but also just from my own personal, you know, my teaching and preaching here at the church. And I've spoken against anti-Semitism enough that we can understand that in this way, I am not speaking against Jewish people. When, we, when I refer to Israel or the Jews, what I'm speaking of is the people who lived in a specific place and a specific time. Those who lived in Israel, the Jewish people in Hosea's day. Understand, I believe that God became a man and lived among us, and that man was that human, fully human part of Jesus was Jewish, of the line of David. So I, this is not anti-Israel or anti-Jewish, but it's an honest conversation about what was going on among the Jewish people in that day. So the outline for the book is, is this. The first three chapters are a personal narrative. The prophet Hosea is told by God to take a prostitute named Gomer and make her his wife. Now, Prostitution, sometimes referred to as the world's oldest profession, takes different shapes and forms depending on which society and culture you are in. Um, you know, the, we can understand that there, there is a difference between the, um, the high expense call girl and the gal that's walking the street, or there's a guy that's walking the street, you know, down McLaughlin or MLK or something like that. Prostitution has taken different shapes and forms over the centuries. You know, a prostitute in Jesus's day um, wouldn't have necessarily been the same as one in our day. Now, the, obviously, the, the the business arrangement is the same, but but why and the reasons and the causes, all that kind of stuff, might look different. When when it's when she's referred to as a harlot or a prostitute in the Bible. It could be that Gomer was a prostitute. It could be that, that she was the known prostitute in that area, and Hosea was told to marry her by God. And, and it could be that in her mind, she said, hey, it's a pretty good deal. I get out of prostitution, I'll you know, become respectable in society, all that stuff. But it says she went back. She went back to her, her ways. I also have a thought that maybe it's not so much that she was a prostitute so much as that she was uh, somebody who was um, very promiscuous and that label had been applied to her. And, and yes, there's issues with patriarchy in, in that. And I, I'll be the first to say, you know, when, when the Pharisees brought before Jesus the woman caught in adultery, you, it's very noticeable that the man she was with was not brought before Jesus. There is a lot of double standards and, and I'll be the first to say that. But the, the first three chapters are a personal narrative. God tells Hosea to marry a woman named Gomer who is described as a prostitute and unfaithful to him. And to marry somebody knowing that they will be unfaithful to you. There's plenty of people who have had spouses be unfaithful to them. But to know going in, there's no illusion. God's told him. 
And so in chapter one, he marries her. In chapter two, she proves faithless, just as Israel has been faithless to God. And then in chapter three, God tells Hosea to go and take her again as his wife. Take her back. Bring her back into your home. Forgive her, just as God had forgiven Israel. And then chapter 4 through 14 is uh, prophetic messages that God gave Hosea to give to the people. Chapter 4 and 5, God uses Hosea to speak about how Israel has played the harlot or the prostitute, that she has just given herself over as a people to idolatry, to lawlessness, to immorality, to the ignorance of God's word. That's chapter 4. Chapter 5, how Israel turns from God. And, and deterioration is following, the, the breakdown and the pain and all these things that come with it. Then in chapter uh, 6, uh, Israel and specifically the tribe of Ephraim, God says, you will return in the last days. You're being judged for sins right now, but I will bring you back. And then chapter 7 through 10, it talks about how Ephraim, and then by extension, the larger northern kingdom of Israel, could escape the coming judgment by turning back to God who loves her. And a key verse here is Hosea chapter 11, verse 8. But this is, uh, runs all through chapters 7 through 12. Uh, in chapter 7, it talks about how Israel is turning to the Egyptians and the Assyrians in chapter 8, how the people have turned to these golden calves and altars of sin in, in chapter 10, 9 and 10, how Israel is turning back, backsliding from God. Um, and just as, you, uh, just as you have turned away from God and you have, uh, you have turned away from him and his promise, so you will be driven from the promised land. Then in chapters 11 and 12, uh, God speaks of how Israel must be judged, how it's, it's, it's wrong if God doesn't judge her for her sin, how if God doesn't deal with wickedness, you know, it would be the wrong thing to do. But even in that, God still loves Israel. God will bring Israel back to himself. As I said in chapter 11, you know, the key verse here, how can I give you up, Ephraim? How can I hand you over, Israel? My heart is changed within me. My, passion, my compassion is aroused. I will not carry out my fierce anger. And, and he's, he's saying, you know, hey, I'm, I want to bring you back. I, I, I haven't given up on you. You're not done yet. I'm not done with you yet. Chapter 13 and 14, Ephraim and, and the whole kingdom of Israel, they, they will turn away from their idols and they will turn back to God in the last days. The Bible in prophecy has both full, a partial and full fulfillment, first and second fulfillment, patterns of fulfillment. We've talked about this many times in other podcasts, but they did turn back to God. They returned. Jerusalem was reestablished. The temple was reestablished. The kingdom was reestablished. Ezra and Nehemiah, they turned back to God. The, the people were living in covenant again, imperfectly, but in covenant again when Jesus returned. First fulfillment, partial fulfillment. And then they rejected the son. They rejected the true king. They rejected the Messiah. And they turned again, worshiping false gods. Although this time it wasn't idols made of stone. It was their own pride, arrogance, rebellion against God. But I believe God will call 
the Jewish people back to him again. And I believe from the scripture that they will one day recognize Jesus as their Messiah. And it talks about in the prophets, you know, they, they will look on him whom they have pierced and they will mourn as for an only son. And they will say, where did you receive these wounds? And he will respond, I received them in the house of my friends. Oh my goodness, we did this. We rejected our Messiah, but he, because of God's grace, we have another chance. Chapter 13, Israel is going to be judged in the present. There's a coming judgment. The Assyrians are coming for your, because of your sins, but Israel will be saved in the future. That's chapter 14. Now, what's the human story? David Guzik says this, In the days of King Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah, the kings of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, the king of Israel, Hosea began his ministry. From a political and economic standpoint, Jeroboam, the king of Israel, was successful. He was a good king politically, economically. Israel was prospering materially and politically and, uh, you know, in foreign relationships in those days, but in a time of significant spiritual and moral decay. And the terrible result of this decay wouldn't become evident until the reign of Jeroboam was finished. That's the human story. The human story is that in a time when everything seemed good from an earthly perspective, people were rotting away on the inside because of sin and rebellion. Just as everything looks good, Hosea's taken a wife, things are on the up, oh, nope, she's faithless again. Oh, things are good. She's come back to him. Nope, she's faithless again. Now, there are landmines. The human story is very relatable. The human story is one of things that look great on the outside and are rotting on the inside. The human story is one of relationship and, and broken families because of sin. I mean, we think about this prophet. No, he's speaking for God. But in his home life, in his home life, he's got a broken home because of sin. And there are landmines there. I mean, the first landmine, the first thing that's controversial, the first thing that's going to raise like, wait, what? Is that he married a prostitute. And it had effect on his kids. Think about this too. Each of his kids had a name that meant something. He named his first kid Jezreel. It was named after a region in Israel that had a dark history of sin and rebellion. It was also the city where Ahab and Jezebel committed many notorious murders. You can go to 1 Kings 21 to see about this. It was there that Jeru killed Joram, Azahiah, and Jezebel, 2 Kings chapter 9. It was there by the murder of Ahab's sons that Jeru ushered in this dynasty of wicked kings in northern Israel, Jehu, Jehoaz, Jeroboam II, and Zechariah. And that's in 2 Kings 10, 13, 14, and 15. So he names his, his first kid, Jezreel, after this place of terrible history as a reminder to the people, this is what we've done. This is what we've done. This is, our, this is our story. Oh, we're the people of God. Really? Jezreel. Names his next kid, Lo Rumah. No mercy or pity is what that means. Names his third child, Lo Amai, which means not my people. How would you like to, as a kid, be getting these names? Why, what? Why did you name me no pity, Dad? Because God will have no pity on us. Why did you name my, not my people, Dad? Are you disowning me? No, I love you, but God is going to disown us. And then, of course, the final question 
Well, before we get to the final question, let's address these. These are kind of landmine things. We should recognize that patriarchy is, in the negative sense, is very real and is a major point in our society today. And, and I want to I recognize that. And all this stuff with marriage and, and family and prostitution brings that up. I think the church needs to wrestle through patriarchy. I think the church needs to wrestle through misogyny that has been allowed to exist, not just from men. I've seen it from women. And, and, and a woman is doing what God's called her to do, and another woman wants to tear her down because of promoting. They've found a place that they're comfortable with within patriarchy and misogyny. I don't think Hosea is promoting those things at all, but I could see why it would be a thing that somebody would bump on. So what I would say is we need to have conversations and dialogue. And if something is like, whoa, hey, what's going on there? Let's talk about it instead of either just making a snap judgment or just ignoring it. Let's have conversations. Now, where's Jesus seen in all this? In the, in the scripture, Israel is constantly referred to, and I do not mean in the New Testament, although there as well, but in the Hebrew scripture, in the Hebrew scripture, what Christians refer to as the Old Testament, the Hebrew scripture, Israel is referred to as God's wayward wife. In the New Testament, the church is referred to constantly as a spotless bride. Now we'll get to Joel soon, but the prophet Joel, Joel chapter three, verse 19 says this, Egypt will be desolate, Edom a desert waste because of the violence done by the people of Judah in whose land they shed innocent blood. Here's what I mean by this. Israel is referred to as God's wayward wife, and yet God is always bringing her back, and he will bring her back. And in that sense, Israel is still a picture to the world around us that there is no place that we cannot run where the grace of God cannot find us and cannot bring back and cannot restore. The church is referred to as a spotless bride being made like Jesus. And yet, there are times when I look at the church and I say, how is it any different than Israel? And here, God says through the prophet Joel, Israel will be laid, or Egypt will be desolate, Edom a desert waste because of the violence done to the people of Judah in whose land they shed innocent blood. And you could say, what innocent blood? The people of Israel, the southern kingdom of Judah, they were violent, they were corrupt, they were rejecting God, they were idolaters, they were immoral people. What innocent blood? And we might look at the church today and say, what spotless bride? And in faith, we recognize that God sees people differently. He sees you differently. He sees me differently than the world around us might see us. And he sees the church differently. Jew and Gentile, old and young, modern, traditional, from all nations, tribes, tongues, and people. Koreans, South Africans, Ethiopians, Venezuelans, Mexicans, Canadians, even Americans who are believers. The church of Jesus, God sees differently than we do. And in faith, we have to say, God Teach us to see your church the way that you do. Because I'll be honest, I see Jesus in Hosea. I see Jesus bringing people back and there's nowhere the grace of God can't extend. But can I be honest? I have a hard time these days seeing the church the way that the Bible talks about the church. And it's been a constant prayer of mine. God, help me to see your church 
the way that you see your church. I want to thank you for joining us for another episode of Starting Points. You can follow us on social media at Faith on Hill. We gather together on Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m., both online and in person. Small groups are meeting throughout the week. My name's Adam. Thank you again, and we'll see you next time for another episode of Starting Points.